Hey guys, grab your Bibles. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And let me just say that this is actually going to be a part one of a series uh, that we're going to continue to tonight. So I really hope that you come back. And then Thursday as well. The title of the message is, See It and You Won't Be the Same. I mean, if you see this, I'm telling you, you will not be the same. And I want to pray one more time, Lord, open our eyes to you, the greatest reality of all. We pray this would be a time of being filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit would like shine the truth of who you are, Lord. The greatest reality of all, afresh to our hearts, every single one of us. And we pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, you would draw them to yourself. We would witness the greatest miracle of all and let his hearts turning to you. We thank you for Pastor Jeff and Connie. Bless them and the whole team there and the church family and, and bring them back safely. And we pray these things in the great name of Jesus. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. Hey, let me ask you a question. You know, yeah, ask a question. It jump starts your thinking a little bit. Have you ever seen something that just absolutely blew your mind? Had a big impact upon your life? Maybe something that you saw with your eyes, obviously, visually, but you know, there is the, the eyes of your heart that you can come to understand something in a new, fresh, deep way. In fact, I, I know I speak for the majority of Christians here that there are times you, you read a verse that just pops out in 3D, it just hits you in a new way. It's like the Holy Spirit just brings the truth of it afresh to your hearts. How many of you know what I'm talking about, you know, right? So, I mean, you have, you know, you, you can see things that are like awesome. I mean, seeing Hadara there, it's just so beautiful, five months old, you know, beautiful baby. Um, so we can see things visually that can impact us in a big way. We can see things from the heart, you know, that impact us from the inside out. I recently had the privilege to preside over our second-born son's wedding. He's 21 years of age, like Robert. And i just tell you something real quick. I, I was looking at him right in the eyes, and we were talking about marriage and the Lord and things and their love for each other, uh, Pete and Sierra. And my son was looking at me so in the eyes. I had this flashback, actually, to when we dedicated him. And it just took me back like 21 years. Seriously, it flo- almost floored me. It was so meaningful to me. It was intense. And it's something I will never forget. I can just still see it kind of in my mind's eye. And then I saw something else, you know, when we were doing the wedding and presiding over it. Because I'm thinking, okay, well, here they are committing to a love for a lifetime. The Lord blesses them with children. I mean, what we are witnessing here is if the Lord were to tarry um, another generation. We're, we're witnessing, you know, life that has not even uh, been named yet, that is not even before us yet. And that, too, had a big impact on me. You say, Greg, what are you getting at? Well, here's what I'm getting at. There are certain things the Lord really wants us to see. And I am convinced if the apostles were here, they would say, I'm telling you, you see what we saw 2,000 years ago, you will never, ever be the same. And it's not just like we see it for, for just one time, or I get it, oh, I saw it. But actually, we re-savor what we see. It's the Holy Spirit brings it afresh to our hearts. What I'm talking about, actually, is the ascension of the Lord Jesus. How many of you know there's a difference between 
the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension. Could you raise your hand? There is a difference. I mean, Jesus resurrected on the third day after his crucifixion. Forty days later, he actually bodily ascended to, uh, to heaven. And we're going to be addressing that. And that's, a different, that's different than his bodily resurrection. I think it's one of the more devalued realities, actually, in the person and work of the Lord Jesus is his ascension. But it's so important that we see it. Here's the context. Forty days after Jesus bodily resurrected. Uh, Mount of Olives, which is the hill overlooking Jerusalem. I have a feeling that the the, uh, group in Israel were on the Mount of Olives today. And let's pick it up here in verse 9. See it and you just won't be the same. Let's pick it up here in verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, referring to Jesus, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards, can someone tell me that next word, towards heaven? As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, the one born in Bethlehem, reared in Nazareth, you know, walked on the water, resurrected people from the dead. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And then they returned to, can someone tell me the next word? Jerusalem, very important, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Pause here for a second. I mean, should we really take this seriously? I mean, how do we know that this is not some con here? I mean, come on, let's just be honest. Does that not read like a fairy tale? I mean, it is telling us that Jesus bodily left planet Earth. Not just saying he resurrected, conquered the grave. In a bodily form. No Jew would ever buy into the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, that he even resurrected unless it was clear it took place bodily. I mean, this seems like, when you read it, it almost seems like some, I don't know, computer animated, you know, know, reality that comes from some fertile imagination or something. Again, how do we know this is not some con? Especially because when the Roman emperor died. It was actually customary to declare that someone had seen his soul escaping his body, going up into heaven as propaganda to perpetuate the position of the emperor as God. And and then his heir or his son, well, would be then called the son of God. And if your objective is to rule the world, you know, the title, you know, could help, you know. I'm the son of God. How do we know? that this is true? How do we know it's not some con? I mean, if it's true, it tells us Jesus is who he claimed to be. If it's true, it tells us that he's the king, the sovereign. We're going to be talking about it in just a little bit. Let me tell you one of the evidences that speak to us that this is true. It can be trusted. You have to remember, Christianity is Jewish history. This is taking place outside of the epicenter of Jewish identity. Jews are still staunch monotheists. They believe in one true and living God. How many of you are tracking with me so far on this, right? I mean, they just, it's like, no, we just believe one true and living God. Our Lord, our God, our Lord is one. Okay, well, here's one of the evidences that this really happened because Peter, James, and John, Jews, 
left the Mount of Olives, headed west into the city of Jerusalem, and now they are worshiping Jesus as God. See, one author notes, there is then a sense that Jesus is upstaging anything the Roman emperors might imagine for themselves. He is the reality, and they are the parody. He is the world's true and rightful king, sharing the very throne, and somehow even so it seems the identity of the one true God. How many of you remember Jesus said, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you? We're going to be talking about that tonight. We're going to be talking about the power needed today because the church is the true counterculture to culture. We need the help of the Lord. We need His strength. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear a big amen to that? Okay, well, yeah, that's true. It's so true. But let me tell you, he said, you will be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. The, the word witness in the Greek is martyr. Martyr in a court of law means testimony. If someone is in a court of law and you are examining them, you say, hey, you know, um, what did you see? And they start saying, well, I felt something. <laughs> Or, you know, I had an experience subjectively. It's like, not a good witness. No, what you want is a witness who has experienced something uh, personally and has seen it with their very eyes. So for Jesus to say, you're going to be my witnesses. Beginning in Jerusalem, you're going to experience who I am in truth. You're going to know I conquered the grave. I'm the Son of God, God the Son. You're going to know. More than that, you're going to know I ascended to heaven. And ultimately, we have to ask, what does that mean? I mean, let's break this down. What's happening at this time? You see, the disciples are witnessing movement in Jesus' life that is different than what they've seen before. He's not walking through walls. He did that before. He's not like all of a sudden appearing on the shore of Galilee making breakfast. No, please look at verse 9. He was taken up and a cloud received him. What does that mean? I mean, how do we wrap our minds around a cloud received him? You know, years ago I read in the LA Times, true story, about a gentleman in Los Angeles that he just decided, well, to experience his neighborhood in a little different way. And he actually tied helium balloons to his lawn chair. Have you ever heard this story before? It's a true story. So he like attached the helium blues to his lawn chair and he started to be lifted up. And like, you know, he was able to see his neighbors enjoy. But he ended up 11,000 feet in the air. Okay, there's a DC-10, Continental DC-10, who was making its approach at LAX, who communicated with the tower, we just passed a guy in a lawn chair, you know. It's like he was there 11,000 feet in the air. See, why am I mentioning that? I mean, should we think of the ascension of Jesus like, okay, he's in the clouds. He's just like floating up there. He's like, it's some just spatial thing. The answer is, um, no, that's not the full picture. You see, as I mentioned, those who are following him are Jews. They're seeing this through a biblical Hebraic lens. The Bible's its best commentary. When Jesus returns, we have the scripture on the screen, Revelation 1.17. Behold, he is coming with, can someone tell me? Well, actually, clouds. Well, just the next, just roll one more. I think we're, okay, there you go. Behold, he is coming with, can someone tell me? Clouds, okay. And every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. 
Well, to a Jew, I mean, clouds speak of God's presence. The Lord was going before them, the great exodus from Egypt into the promised land, and a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night to give them light. So when Jesus is ascending and he's like transitioning into a cloud, it's not like the clouds that we think of. The Bible speaks of heaven in three different ways, where the birds are, where the stars are, and where God's glory is on full display. It's like where his muscle is on full display. So the ascension, please hear this, is not just a spatial thing moving from one place to another. It was actually a demonstration of position. It was actually Jesus was demonstrating for Peter, James, and John and the rest the authority of who he is. That in fact, okay, he is the king. Which to us in the West is kind of odd because we don't have kings. That's a, that's a monarchy. But, but it's like the Queen of England who would maybe ascend her throne. Once she sits down on her throne, what she says goes. It's like her throne speaks of a certain influence. For Jesus to have ascended, man, Peter, James, and John are like, whoa. Whoa, we, 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 all, we always believed that he was the son of David. We, 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 always, we always believed that he was the Messiah, but we didn't realize that he was so big. We didn't realize that his throne would just not just be regional like Jerusalem or impact the Roman Empire. My goodness gracious, he ascended into heaven. And how do we know that that's the right interpretation? Because later, and we're going to be talking about this Thursday night, in chapter 2, verse 30, when Peter is preaching 10 days later, he said he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. And look, when you... A biblical lens, when you sit down, it speaks of identity. It speaks of influence. It speaks of power. It speaks of position. Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Whoa! Influence. Power. And then Peter said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Whoa. Yeah. Big. I'm telling you, if you see it, you'll never be the same. There's more to the vision. Look at verse 11. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, okay, Jesus is coming again. Okay, now now we're going to talk about like what the ascension means because it doesn't mean he's far away. He's with us. It was a demonstration he is the king. And everything is moving towards him. Can I hear a big amen to that? It's true. It's true. It's true. And let me tell you, when Jesus returns, it's not doom and gloom. It's grace. It's glory. It's redemption. Jesus returns at the most darkest time in human history. It's a, it's a love rescue. Man is about ready to drive himself in a ditch. Jesus said, unless those days were short, no flesh would survive. When he comes, it's like this incredible love, redemptive rescue. We need him. Listen, there is not a greater friend to each of us, to our neighbors, to our family, to our moms and dads, to Jews, to Gentiles, to Arabs, to Hispanics. There's not a greater friend than Jesus. I mean, he, he is love. And when he comes, he brings wholeness. He brings justice. He brings rightness. 
Hebrews 10, 12 says he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time awaits his enemies to be made his footstool. What does that mean? Are we talking about some crazy authoritarian figure known as God and he's going to you know, put enemies under his feet? How about the enemy of injustice? How about the enemy of hatred and racism and death and breakdown? I mean, ultimately, he brings shalom. Ultimately, it's like he rules and reigns on planet Earth. And we are with him. And it's going to be the greatest I told you so in history. It's going to happen. And just to double underscore this same Jesus, born in Bethlehem, Nazareth, water into wine, walked on the water, healed, raised Lazarus. I mean, we just pause here for a moment. Imagine, imagine if you were Peter. Because it says they were standing gazing like, whoa. It kind of reminds you of Isaiah 6, who saw the Lord high and lifted up. He actually saw Jesus on the throne. And he was so awed by this, it was like, whoa. I mean, you could break down Isaiah 6 as like just major awe, and that led to adoration. Like, Lord, you are beautiful. You are indescribable. That's what holiness means. And then led to availability. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And it's like, I could just hear Peter, James, and John saying, gee, we follow Jesus because we believed he is the Messiah. And he was endorsed by John the Baptist. And we believed he was the son of David to establish the throne of David in Jerusalem. But what we didn't understand is that his influence of his throne was like so much bigger than that. Boys, my goodness gracious, the king of the Jews is the king of the universe. You see that? You'll never be the same. Golly, remember John? and Remember Peter? Remember that he had control over the winds and the waves and demonic spirits and raised the dead and forgave sin? My goodness gracious, what, what it was telling us was the king had come down. And this meant then that Peter, James, and John, as they're leaving the Mount of Olives, going to the city of Jerusalem, it's like the Lord raises all this terminology that's not, you know, we don't recognize that well in the West, but he raises his scepter and he's saying, now you are my ambassadors. You are ambassadors of the greatest reality of all, who the Lord is. Hey, you know the alternative is, is that in the, in the beginning, nothing. That in the beginning, just natural forces existed and that what exists, therefore, in creation, universe, well, we're all just a bunch of accidents. You know, we're a byproduct of, you know, uh, slime of some sort and we're just at best educated beefsteak. I don't know why I'm getting off on that. Sorry about that. Anyways, but I know why. Because that would be an alternative worldview. No, 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 no. We're not mistakes. And we're not alone. And God made you and, and He made me and He made us and He created us and He made us to know Him. And now Peter, James, and John are like leaving the Mount of Olives and, and their loyalty, it's like their loyalty Because we all have loyalties. Their loyalty now is established on the royalty of Jesus. Now, where's your loyalty at? It's good actually to ask, especially in this election year. Hey, Mick, can I say it a little different? Hey, don't don't follow Democrats. See, man, that so offends me. Okay, don't follow Republicans. 
I'm a white person, but I didn't choose to be white. To be frank with you, I don't, I don't follow white people. Don't, don't follow Asians. Don't follow Puerto Ricans. Don't follow Hispanics, although I'm so tempted to say follow Mexican food. But don't follow. It's just like, okay, here's what I want to say. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Man, do you see it? Because if you do, you'll never be the same. It's the only vision. And when I say vision, I'm not saying we're making up. I'm saying you see something in a clear way. It's the only vision that's strong enough to purge the selfishness of consumerism that plagues the church and culture from an appetite that will never be fully and finally satisfied. It's the only vision, the vision of the truth and who he is and who we are. It's like I have no idea who I am unless I know who he is. It's the only reality that's going to purge like just Greg Denham from just I'm only into it because it's convenient for me or only into it because I see some temporal value that gives me some pleasure. Once I see the truth, then it's like, oh, there are certain values in life that are of value because they are of value. And to love is always right because God is love and he called us to love him and love others, no matter if it's popular or not. I mean, it's just like seeing the truth is the only hope to purge the consumerism that is in our blood. God help us. Here are some takeaways, you guys, if you're writing notes. Number one, I mean, what this shows us, what we see, what we come to understand is is we see the Lord's actually active presence in our life. You say, how do we get that from the fact that Jesus bodily ascended to heaven as if to say he is going away from us? Well, how many of you remember Mary after the resurrection? And she was met by Jesus, and Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending. So here's kind of the idea, at least in my mind. It's like Mary was so disappointed, brokenhearted. He'd been crucified, lowest form of execution in the Roman Empire. It's like those three days are hell on earth for her. She comes to freshen up his body. The body cannot be found. She's not thinking resurrection. She's thinking someone stole the body. And then Jesus appeared to Mary, and Mary clung to him as if to say, man, I lost you for three days, and I'm never going to lose you again. And the Lord said, basically, Mary, let, you, you need to let me go. You let me go, and I will never not be by your side. And that introduces us to the subject we're going to be addressing tonight, the power needed today of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. If you're writing notes, you think, what is the ascension? Okay, well, we're going to be talking about it more. But look, it explodes the realities of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our life. To make a long story short, I, 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 as I said, I grew up in the South Bay. And I remember I, I was in a hospital somewhere around here when I was about eight years old. I had pneumonia. And it was just weird being in a hospital by myself. I was well taken care of. But it was, also, it was always so wonderful. My mom came and my grandmother came. My father would come after work. He worked right around here. And, um, and each of them brought gifts. 
excuse me, my mother would bring nurturing things and my homework. And uh, then my grandmother, she brought me candy. Woohoo! Let's give it up for the grandparents out there. I'm one. Then my dad, he brought himself and a smell of smoke. I just remember that. And then they would all leave, and I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate this as a kid, but I just wish they, would stay. I wish they stayed. Let me just say something. The Lord is never not by your side, my friend. Okay? The, the ascension speaks of the presence of the Lord. And let me tell you, every single one of us, we are wired for a sense of transcendence. We are wired to experience that which is bigger than ourselves. We want it. That's why sports are so big in our culture. That's why wearing Kobe's jersey, you're just feeling, you know what, he plays good, I play good. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, you know, he wins it, I win it. It's like, that was a great game, man. We played, we played good? I mean, no, it's like, I mean, it's like I feel like I'm a part of the team. Let me just tell you something. As, as a believer, the Lord in you, man, you are wearing the jersey. You are a citizen of the kingdom now. The second thing is, see the king working out his plan in your life. Because he is, Romans 8, 28 through 29, he's working all things out for the good to those who love him, are called according to his purpose. Let me say, there's nothing, hear this, nothing that can separate you from his love. And his love is always concrete. It's, it's always substantive. It's not just some theory. His love is provisional. His love is redemptive. In other words, he takes lemons and makes lemonade. His objective is to grow you more like Christ with intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. That's a great thing. What we're all really longing for is to get back to the Garden of Eden, to have relationship with our Heavenly Father. So I would just say this, because I know some of you are really going through it. You know, some of you are really challenged and some of you are suffering and some of you are discouraged. I I just want you to pause in your heart and just see the Lord high and lifted up, which means that he sees and he knows and he cares and he's involved. And ultimately he is in control and he's working out his plan in your life. And I'm telling you, he is working behind the scenes right now for your highest good. Accept it. Because it's true. Can I hear a big amen to that? It's true. It's true. And I'd say finally, I'm going to put it this way. It's up on the screen. See the importance of the next step. It's like, man, if you see Jesus for who he is, you see that he ascended him, that he is the king, and he has us here on planet earth for a purpose to know him and to make him known and to be his hands and feet. I mean, just focus on the next step. What is the task that is in front of you? Focus on the process and leave the results up to the Lord. You say, well, great. Where do you get that? Well, well, think about what's happening in the disciples' lives. They are returning to Jerusalem. The Lord had told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Heavenly Father. They're just taking steps of faith with with the light that is in front of them. Just, okay, this is where the Lord wants us to go to wait in Jerusalem and and give Him our attention and to pray. And for 10 days, they did that. And then you had Pentecost, which means 50 after the resurrection. And and the Lord generously blessed them with His presence. But just taking faithful steps 
of obedience and trust and being responsible with the task that is in front of them. Front of them. And then experiencing, whoa, you know what? Let's just do what the Lord has called us to do and and just leave the rest up to Him. And in new ways they're experiencing now, it's not by power nor by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Let me tell you, there's an elephant in the room in all of this, though. The disciples are going back to the city of, can someone tell me? Jerusalem, good job, which means city of peace. That's the epicenter of Jewish identity. We need to remember that our roots of our faith go back to Jerusalem. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 16 and verse 17, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for the Jew first, then the Gentile, which means the non-Jew. Okay, so it's very important that today we remember that and we tell our Jewish friends about who Jesus is that he actually embodies the hope and the calling and the purpose of Israel, that we have seen the face of God and that we can have relationship with the Heavenly Father in the Messiah of Israel. We can learn something from the great head coach at University of Alabama, Coach Nick Sabins. He said, look, we don't even even think about the national championship, even though they won the national championship, if I remember correctly, this last year. We don't even think about it. I mean, we think about what we need to do in this drill, on this play, in this moment. That's the process. Let's think about what we can do today. The task at hand. Ah, so if we ask the question, then how are we going to impact this world for Jesus? The answer is one person at a time. That's the task at hand. Can I hear an amen to that? Watch this now. If, if we say, man, if the issue is discouragement, if you're, if you're discouraged, and we've all been there, that's a bummer. If you're discouraged, what's the task at hand? Well, Paul talked about taking up the shield of faith. That's a metaphor which you would be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, depression and challenge and, you know, being overwhelmed and have some victory amidst it. But what is faith? The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please him. They that come to him must believe that he is. He's a reward of those who diligently seek him. Look, faith is actually being informed by the truth of who God is. It affects my attitude and my outlook. And when I have an accurate view of the Lord, my problems are not as big as they once were in my heart and mind. Big God, small problems. Big problems, small God. Listen, the task at hand that he wants you to do now because he's ascended, he's the king, you take up the shield of faith. You put your trust in him. He's working his will and his purpose out in your life. Hey, what happens if the issue is, man, you know what, there's this incredible spiritual warfare to enticement and temptation in my life. What's the task at hand? Well, Paul talked about a belt of truth. I mean, it, we need truth in our life. What does that mean? Um, actually, it's a form of integrity. None of us are perfect. But we want to cut out compartmentalization in our life, that we're one person in public and a whole other person behind the scenes. Why? Lots of reasons. But one is sin is no friend of anyone. Sin always morphs into worse realities. 
How many of you know that's true? Only two people raised your hand? No. I mean, we all know that's true, right? So watch this. If you, if you allow just a little compromise, a foothold, i.e. like put your foot in a door, you know, you can't shut the door, a little foothold leads to a stronghold. You, you want to put that belt of truth. It's like, man, I'm cutting out compromise, man. You know, the Lord's been speaking, even this message, on the bar of my conscience, it needs to go. You've got to do that. That's the task at hand, you see. And if the issue is, how do I have a right relationship with God? Man, turn to the Savior King because He is true. That's the task at hand. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. It's a metaphor. He's just illustrating. He's trying to get your attention because He loves you. He wants the best for you. And the best for you is right relationship with the Father in Christ. That's where it all begins. Getting back to my son's wedding. There came a time in the wedding where I said, Pete, will you take Sierra to be your lawfully wedded wife? Will you protect her, provide for her? Will you remain faithful to her for as long as you both shall live? Now imagine if my son said, Dad, Dad, this is really great. It's really cool and stuff, this ceremony. But I just want to say something at this point. I just want to say, Sierra, she's incredibly beautiful. She's awesome, and she's a great cook. And I'm thinking, Pete, let me ask you again. All right, the question is, the question is not if she's beautiful and she's inspiring and everything. The question is, will you marry her? My question is, son, Are you going to enter into a covenant, a commitment to her today that is going to last your lifetime? Now imagine if my son said, Dad, I just want to tell you something. I I, I mean, Sierra is awesome. She comes from a great family, and I admire her so much. I'm just thinking, Pete, I am asking, will you marry her? You see, the Lord never said, hey, admire me. He said, follow me. And that's the task at hand. Can I hear a big amen to that? Can I hear a big amen to that? I want us to pray, Father, I thank you for every precious person in in this room. And you see, Lord, 14-year-olds, and you see 25-year-olds, and you see 85-year-olds. Lord, I pray for those really are at a place where the task in front of them is what they're going to do with you. And they are here, and they've heard the good news. And that is, you made us, you've revealed yourself to us, you have a plan for us. That everything is moving towards your kingdom. You want us to be a citizen of it now. And you stand at the door and knock, and you're trying to get our attention because you love us with everything. And and it could be said, Lord, when you were in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on that cross, with your arms outstretched wide, you reached up, you took the hand of the Father, and right now you're reaching out to, I think, hundreds of people right now because you love them and you're saying, all right, look, I, I, I want to take your hand. I want to forgive you of your sins. I, w- I want to give you myself, which is the greatest thing in life. But, but I can't do that unless you're responsible with the task in front of you. You say, well, Greg, what, what must I do to get right with God? And what must I do to know for sure my sins are forgiven? If I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Well, basically, three things. Recognize what he's done for you. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Number two, you need to repent. That means actually to change the way you think. It's the word metanoia in the Greek. And the most important area to change the way you think is to embrace now Jesus for who he is. And number three, to respond to him in prayer, to call upon him. Because the Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. How many of you, just while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would say, you know, Greg, pray for me. Because today I want to embrace Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I don't know everything about the gospel. I know enough to take that first step. And I want him to come into my life. I want to leave here knowing my sins are forgiven. I want to leave here knowing if I had died, go to heaven. I want to leave here knowing the king has his hand on me. That I'm his boy, I'm his girl, I'm his child. If that's you, I want you just to raise up your hand right now. I'm going to pray for you, actually. Just slip up your hand. And by raising up your hand, you'd be saying, yes, that's me. I want to receive Christ in my life. God bless you in the back. God bless you in the front, the sides. Anybody else, if you'd like to receive Christ, you raise up your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You just raise up your hand. I'm actually, listen, for those of you who raised your hand, even if you didn't, God bless you. You know, the task at hand, we could just nail this. Is like, okay, let's embrace Christ right now. Let's call upon Him. And I'd like to lead you in a word of prayer wherever you're seated to receive Christ and embrace Him as your Lord and Savior. So pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud. And, and I'm sure the, the rest of the church family would love to join as a way of encouragement. Pray this prayer with me. This is a prayer of asking Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus. I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. I know I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Come into my life. Fill me with the life of God. Thank you for dying for me. Resurrecting from the grave. Making me your child. Now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.